given you the land and that the terror of you has fallen on us and that the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. you may be seated. We are in a sermon series on the book of Joshua. Joshua is that theme book for Lads the Leaders next year. Tonight we're up to chapter 2. It's a message called, We Only Win Because of the Lord. Recently I, I came across some somewhat cynical observations on life and work. Like, for example... Here's one. Nothing is foolproof to a talented fool. Or, the early bird may get the worm, but the second mouse gets the cheese. Think about that one. Second mouse gets the cheese. Borrow money from a pessimist, because they don't expect it back anyway. If at first you don't succeed, destroy all evidence that you tried. Experience, experience is something you don't get until just after you need it. The sooner you fall behind, the more time you'll have to catch up. Then here's my favorite. If at first you don't succeed, then skydiving isn't for you, okay? Life, life is messy, and often you do fail. That's life. So what do you do when you have failed? What do you do when you have messed up, not just a little bit, but big time? What do you do when you're the first mouse, so to speak? Joshua chapter 2, verse 1. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, sent out two men from Achaia Grove, to spy secretly, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. So they went and came to the house of a harlot named Rahab and lodged there. If Israel was going to possess the promised land, they had to start with Jericho. Jericho was the first major city right in the heart of that land. So Joshua sends the spies specifically to Jericho where they stay with a harlot. They stay with a harlot. That is not the, um, we're going to kill the PowerPoint. That's not the PowerPoint from this afternoon. So kill the PowerPoint, please. On top of that, she is a liar, verse 2. And it was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, men have come here tonight from the children of Israel to search out the country. So the king of Israel, or the king of Jericho, sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who have entered your house, for they have come to search out all the country. Then the woman took the two men and hid them. So she said, yes, the men came to me. The men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. That's a lie. 
She did know where they were from. She is lying. Even more, verse 5. And it happened as the gate was being shut, when it was dark, that the men went out. When the men went, I, I do not know. Where they went, I do not know. Pursue them quickly, for you may overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hidden them with the stalks of flax, which she had laid in order on the roof. Then the men pursued them by the road to the Jordan, to the fords. And as soon as those that, who pursued them had gone out, they shut the gate. What is Rahab doing? She lied to protect the spies. Don't overlook that fact. Don't diminish that flaw in her character. Don't try to excuse it or explain it away. She is lying. I know the New Testament commends her for her actions. I, I realize that. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 31. By faith, the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. Also in James chapter 2, verse 25. Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? Yes, the New Testament commends Rahab for her actions, but if you look carefully, it commends her faith as her faith is demonstrated itself in her works. The Bible does not directly commend her for lying. It commends her for giving a friendly welcome to the spies and for sending them out another way, but not for lying about their whereabouts. A little boy asked his mother, Mommy, what is a lie? His mother answered by saying, Well, son, a lie is an abomination unto the Lord, but a very present help in time of need. You know, we chuckle at that, but that's what people often believe and somewhat practice today. Our culture, our culture teaches us it's all right to lie sometimes. It's all right to lie sometimes. Our society says it's all right to sleep with someone, you know, if you want to. Our culture says it's all right to sin at times, especially if the situation is right or there is a good result. Our society justifies the ends, justifies the means. But that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible, the Bible has a clear set of moral absolutes which are unchangeable, which should not be broken under any circumstances. They are not the Ten Suggestions, it's the Ten Commandments. 
and you're getting very close, you're almost up to me. That's it right there. Go ahead and project that. I think you've got the right one up now. The ends, the ends never justifies the means. It is never right to do wrong. It is the right to do wrong to do right. Let me say it again. It's never right to do wrong to do right. I know some struggle with that. It's because our culture says it's different. But that, that was the culture of the Canaanites. Rahab's culture, she lied and didn't think anything about it. Because that's what they did in that culture. Don't diminish that. Don't excuse it. Don't try to explain it away because it makes what God does for her so much more marvelous and so much more wonderful. Rahab, Rahab was a loser. She wasn't going to win. She was part of a group of people that were going to be destroyed, totally destroyed. But Rahab had a degree of faith. And because of that, she had an opportunity to save not just herself, but her family. But Rahab was a loser. She was a sinner. And Rahab is not a whole lot different from me. And Rahab is not a whole lot different from you. We're all sinners. We all equally are broken in desperate need of God's grace. And the sooner we realize it, the sooner we accept it, and the sooner we accept God's help. So when you fail, realize you're a loser. You can't win without God. We all lose without God. We only win because of the Lord. We need to admit. Admit that you cannot help yourself. Acknowledge that you are poor in spirit, for of such is the kingdom of heaven, Jesus says in that Sermon on the Mount. Confess the fact that you've blown it. Realize you're a loser. Don't stop there, though. When you realize that, rely on the Lord to make you a winner. Because Christians are no longer losers. Christians are winners. We are winners. We trust God to save us. We depend on the sovereign Lord to make a difference in your life. Depend on God and God alone to rescue you from your sin and change you from the inside out. That's what Rahab did, verse number 8. Now before they lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land, that the terror of you has fallen on us. We're going to lose, you're going to win. And that all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. For we have heard, we've heard it, We've heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea. Now, keep in mind, that happened 40 years prior. And still, that story was well known 40 
years later. And what you did to the two kings of the Amorites, we've heard all of that. We know what's going on. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted. Neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you. For the Lord your God, don't miss this. For the Lord your God, He is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. She has faith. What makes the difference here with Rahab? It, now, it wasn't because she was a good person, because she had not lived a good life. It wasn't because, you know, she was an outstanding example there in that city, because she wasn't. What is making the difference? It's her faith. Her faith. Verse 14 now. So the men answered her, Our lives for yours. If none of you tell this business of ours, and it shall be when the Lord has given us the land that we will deal kindly and truly with you. Then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was on the city wall. She dwelt on the wall. And she said to them, Get to the mountain, lest the pursuers meet you. Hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Afterward, you may go your way. So the men said to her, We will be blameless of this oath of yours, which you may swear, unless, unless when we come into the land, you bind this line of scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down, and unless you bring your father, your mother, your brothers, and all your father's household to your own home, so it shall be that whoever goes outside the door of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head and will be guiltless. And whoever is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head if a hand is laid on him. She had asked for a sign. The scarlet cord, the scarlet cord is going to be that sign. This is what Rahab's confession of faith, we've just read it. Rahab's confession of faith, and it's the key to understanding this whole chapter. Rahab knows that her gods are useless and that she confesses that Israel's God is ruler over heaven and earth, that he and he alone is in charge. Sure, Rahab had failed. She was a loser. But now she was relying on the God of Israel, the sovereign Lord of all the universe, and she asks for help. That scarlet cord was that sure sign that she had asked for back in verse 12. It was her guarantee that these men would keep their word and spare her family. Do you get the picture? The door of Rahab's house becomes the door of salvation for her family. The scarlet cord out her window is that sure sign. It is the guarantee that all who enter through that door will indeed be saved from the utter destruction that is coming. 
I think that's a beautiful picture of our salvation. Jesus is the door of our salvation. In John chapter 10, Jesus says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. Verse number 9. And furthermore, Jesus' shed blood is God's sure sign. It's God's guarantee that we who enter in through that door, Jesus, will indeed be saved from the judgment to come. When Jesus instituted the communion during that Passover meal, He said, this cup, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Paul records that in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. In other words, Jesus' blood is His pledge to you, His sure sign that He will keep His covenant, that He'll keep His promise to you. We don't deserve it. We are like beggars out in the world. And we don't deserve anything. Well, we don't deserve anything that's good. I guess you could say we deserve the bad. But we do not deserve God's love and God's mercy. We are all beggars in this world. Dressed in the filthy rags of our failings. But God has written us a check. He's given us a check to cover, to give us riches beyond measure. Furthermore, He has promised us every spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. He signed that promise. He signed that check in His Son's own blood. That's what makes the difference. It's not what we have. It's not our clothes. It's not our appearance. It's not the fact that we're so, just so spiritual or lack thereof. It is His signature. It's His Son's shed blood that makes all the difference in the world. All we need to do is cash that check. How do we do it? By obeying His Word. All you do is trust and obey the eternal riches that God has offered. All you need to do is receive His salvation through faithful obedience. And that's what Rahab does here. We'll read later on in the book of Joshua that she did put that cord in the window. And because she did, those in her house were saved. And because of her faith, she becomes part of the genealogy of Jesus the Christ. At this point of time, she doesn't know who Jesus is. She doesn't, she's never heard the name Jesus. But she will be in that family tree of our Lord. It's because of her faith. The faith that she demonstrated right here. She depends on the promise, and it makes a difference in the world for her. It's in Joshua's chapter 6 that she and her family are delivered from the utter destruction when the walls around Jericho fall down flat. And it's in Matthew chapter 1 that we find her in the genealogy of Christ. 
God puts her in the family line of the Messiah. And as we already have said, not once but twice in the New Testament, she is commended for her faith. Hebrews 11, James 2. She is honored throughout all history for the faith that she demonstrated right here in Joshua chapter 2. Even though she started out as a loser, and she was going to lose big time, she became a winner. A winner. Simply because she relied on the Lord. She depended on Him to save her not only from destruction, but also from a wasted life. That's what you and I have to do. We have to depend on the Lord. We have to trust in Him. We have to obey. What has the Lord commanded? He's commanded faith. He's commanded repentance, confession, and baptism. If we've done that, that makes us into a Christian. But we can, we can wander off back into sin. We can fail to be that example that God wants us to be. We can fail to be that positive example of God's love and God's grace and God's mercy. If that's the case, we can seek forgiveness, 1 John 1, 9. The church here is ready to pray with you and for you. If you have a need to respond, will you do so as we stand and sing for your encouragement? Why did